Matthew 27, beginning on verse 27. This is the word of God. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt down in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Many women were there 
watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. And going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. <coughs> the next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and become like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There, they will see me. Amen. We thank God for his word to us this morning. And let's briefly pray before we uh, turn to this passage. Matthew 27 and then verse 57. Father, we ask that once again as we come into your presence now with your word before us, we pray that you will speak clearly and help us to hear and help us to see and help us to believe and to receive 
and to know. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Death normally means the end of life. Typically. Generally. Normally. That's what happens. When you die, that's the end of life. But there's nothing normal about Jesus. There's nothing normal about Jesus. In fact, this is what we read right at the beginning of service. These three things are true. He died, he was buried, and he was raised. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Do you see those three things? Dead, buried, and raised. And Matthew and the other gospel writers give us the details. It all actually happened. These are facts. This is not fiction. Now, yes, Matthew's gospel has a, a short conclusion, a bit like Mark's. On the other hand, we have Luke and John. They have lots of appearances. In fact, 40 days of interactions and teaching and proofs. But, but in, in Matthew, we are presented with the facts of the resurrection. Then we're given the Great Commission and the end. The only extra detail is the unveiling of this Jewish plot to discredit the resurrection fact, and Jeff's going to deal with that this evening. But the evangelists and the gospel writers tended to include details and stories and facts that fitted into their main purpose and with their particular audience in view. And if you know anything about Matthew's gospel, you know that Matthew's main audience were the Jews. So that's why he includes the scheming of the Jews, this misinformation plot, the fake news, and we're all used to fake news now, aren't we? The fake news that he didn't actually rise again from the dead, the pathetic cover-up attempt, it's all going to be dealt with this evening. So we invite you to come back. But the point that Matthew wants us to understand is this. The resurrection really happened. Not the invention of desperate people, not some wishful hope. Jesus actually, literally, physically rose from the dead. So he, he died, he was buried, he was raised. Now, some believe this. Some sneer at the very idea, and some couldn't care less. Now, most people, I suppose, accept that Jesus existed, an historical fact, just like Napoleon existed. Some people, most people would accept that, yes, he seems to have been a good and kind person, and maybe, yes, maybe, 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 maybe he died. He actually died on a Roman cross. But a resurrection? Come off it. That doesn't happen. But the reality is, when we think about the, um, 
resurrection and belief in the resurrection, many don't want it to be true. That's the reality. They simply do not want it to be true. They don't want to believe, because if they had to believe that he actually rose, then it would have implications for the way they lived their lives. They would be obliged to listen and to learn and to live his way and to trust in him. So they don't want it to be true, so they conclude that it isn't true so that they can live whatever way they want. But there's an empty tomb, and there's a missing body. There's an inability to anyone to produce the body. There's the change, the radically changed disciples. There's the personal encounters, the one-to-ones, uh, small groups, and 500, over 500 people at one time. There's the existence of the church. The list goes on. The proofs go on. It is an attested event. And the burden, I would say, the burden is on people to prove that it did not happen rather than us to prove that it did happen because it did happen. Let's look at the passage through the eyes of two individuals. First of all, Joseph, the, the secret disciple who, who uh, was revealed, and then Mary Magdalene, the open disciple who was empowered. Let, let's think of, first of all, Joseph, the secret disciple revealed. And we see that in verse 57 uh, through uh, to, to verse 61. Just lost my clicker there. I'll get it again. Don't worry. Um, Jesus died, and Jesus really died. And, of course, we've got to say that it wasn't a mistake. No substitute died in this place, as some tried to point out. He actually was our substitute. Jesus didn't swoon on the cross, um, like fainted, and then later on in the, the cool of the tomb, he revived. That's, again, some people claim that. No, he died. He really died. I think I've shared this wee story before, but I, it's great. Um, a lady wrote a letter to one of those radio Bible teachers in America. Dear sir, my minister said that Jesus just swooned on the cross and that the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? Sincerely, bewildered. Two days later, she re received this reply. Dear bewildered, take your minister, beat him with a cat of nine tails with 39 heavy strokes. Beat him with clubs and deprive him of sleep for 24 hours. Nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his side, then put him in an airless tomb and see what happens. Now, I want to tell you, I believe, you don't need to do that to me, I, I believe. But what we have here is a public execution by professional executioners, and everybody knows he's dead. He's dead. The Roman officials, the religious leaders, the crowd, the disciples and friends. He was dead. And the only shining light in the whole horrible story is the love and devotion of a guy called Joseph and the other woman mentioned, as we'll look at later on. Verse 57, as evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had become a disciple of, of Jesus. He was a leader in the Jewish church, we might say. He, he, that meant he was rich and he was powerful, but also we're told here he was a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
Luke said that he did not consent to the trial and execution of Jesus. John tells us, in fact, he was a secret disciple. But all that was going to change. Bravely, he comes and asks permission to bury Jesus. Verse 58, going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. He's devastated and he's sickened. He's sickened because he knows what the the Roman custom would have been and, uh, that, that you leave the crucified person hanging on the cross for weeks normally to rot so that the birds of the air would come and peck at the body. It's disgusting, isn't it? The idea was it was going to send an awful warning to the people, don't mess with the Romans. And Joseph said, I cannot allow this to happen to my Savior. And so he asked permission to take the body down and bury him. And Pilate probably, we're guessing, probably to deal with his guilty conscience says, yes. Verse 58, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. See, Joseph goes straight to the top. He had that pulling power to ask, and quickly Jesus is buried. Uh, it's close to the Sabbath. They were running out of time, um, so, so they did what they could do. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, verse 59, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Two things now we can know. We know, and everyone knows, where Joseph stood. He had basically made a public profession that he believed. And secondly, everyone now knows where Jesus was buried. And then he leaves to mourn. Two challenges, I think, that come to us from, from Joseph. Here's the first one. Are you a secret disciple, a secret Christian like Joseph? And I'm going to issue a challenge to you today. It's time. Today is the day. This is the moment to declare your allegiance to Jesus. It's time to confess with your lips what you've believed in your heart for, for a while now. It's time to deny yourself. It's time to deny your secrecy. It's time to have a little bit of courage. And it's time to love Jesus and live for Jesus publicly. That's the first thing. It's time to clearly reveal your, your allegiance to Jesus. Will you do that? Will you do that? And secondly, I think it's time that you use your resources for the purpose of the glory of God. Joseph gave what he had to and for Jesus. This tomb that he had, his own family tomb. But from that tomb, of course, the most wonderful event of human history was soon to take place. All of us have resources. We've seen some of the witness of the resources this morning at the front as well as at the back, all over the place. We've got lots of people with lots of resources, some more than others, but all of us have some resources. And it's time 
to stop just using them for me and myself and I and those closest to me, and it's time to use them for the glory of God. Joseph, a secret disciple, revealed. Folks, some of you I've known for a long, long time. And some of you, I'm not even sure whether you're a believer or not because you haven't told me. And that pains me. That's not the way it should be within the family of God. Do you love Jesus? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Then show it. Show it. Now is the time to do that and use your resources for him. Let's think of Mary Magdalene, the open disciple who was entrusted with the glorious message. I want to focus on her. I know there was another Mary there, but what a wonderful lady Mary Magdalene was. Mary from Magdalene, um, a, a village nearby. We're told that she had seven demons from which Jesus had set her free. Possibly, um, probably, in some people's thinking, she was the prostitute who washed the feet of Jesus with her tears and dried his feet with her hair and then poured perfume over him. We're not sure, but anyway, one way or other, she belonged to the evil world in the grasp of great sin, brokenness. This woman was broken and um, she probably was greatly troubled, maybe even depressed. Just everything in her life was rotten. And then she meets Jesus, and she's delivered by Jesus. Her life is in chaos. She's changed by Jesus. Her life is committed to Jesus. She's following Jesus, and then suddenly back into confusion again. Verse 56, she watched her Savior tortured for hours on the cross, and she's confused. What's going on here? And in verse 61, again, she watches, this time at the tomb, and she's confused. What's going on? So she's gone. This woman's gone from darkness to some kind of light and an experience of grace, back now to darkness again. And she wondered, What's going on? But she was doing what she could. She was coming to honor Jesus with after-death care. Do you know what we do when someone uh, we love dies? We, we have our traditions. You know, my mom died recently, and we, we picked a, a dress that she wore at one of her granddaughter's weddings. We picked flowers of the colors we we knew she would love. And the, the undertakers cared for her body. And then we buried her. We have our traditions. And so did the Jews. And the ladies came to finish off the job that was rushed on the Friday because of the Sabbath coming. But they were shocked. Shocked. Wouldn't you be? The stone was rolled away. An angel, like lightning, with clothes as white as snow, was sitting on top of the stone, and Jesus was not there. And the message was, he has risen, just as he said. The earth quaked, we're told, and, and the guards quaked. 
It's, it's almost comical, isn't it? The dead one, Jesus, was alive. He has risen, verse 6. And the living ones, the guards, were like dead. Like dead men, verse 4. Notice that. Verse 6, he's not here, he's risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Verse 4, the guards were so afraid of, of him that they shook and became like dead men. So the living were like dead, and the dead was alive. And Mary Magdalene, the ex-demoniac, the, possibly the ex-prostitute, was first to witness it all. She saw the evidence, evidence that was solid and real. And Mary was not dependent, therefore, on the reports of others. She wasn't, she wasn't kind of um, dependent on some kind of mystical experience. Solid, witnessed evidence. For example, think about what she, what she heard, verse 5 and, and 6. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. That's very important. The angel's basically saying, yes, I know what you're looking for, Mary. You're, you're looking for a dead body, but I've got some good news for you. He's not dead. <laughs> He's living He's risen just as he said. He predicted it, and it's happened. He's alive. He's not here physically. He's alive and risen. And Mary Magdalene believed. Once in shocking, chaotic, evil mess, saved by grace. Now, after a time of confusion, strong in her faith, as she hears the testimony of the angel, he has risen. And again, I don't know what's going on in your heart today. Maybe, maybe you would like to believe. In fact, there's part of you wants to believe. but you do not yet believe. I think this woman is an amazing encouragement to us because I can hear and I can believe and I can know for sure and so can you. But it's not just what she heard, it's what she sees. Verse six, the end of verse six, come and see the place where he lay. We've noted this phrase, come and see, in John's gospel, haven't we? Jesus said to the two disciples, you know, come and see. Philip said the same thing to Nathaniel, come and see. The smart woman said to her village, come and see. Come and investigate. You see, folks, what we believe in is not a stupid, non-thinking faith. The Bible encourages us to come and explore. That's why we have Christianity explored. We, we, we like to explore truth. We're invited to do so. It's not, it's not kind of blind faith where we just stupidly believe things because we're told them by somebody else. No, it's based on facts, and we're encouraged to look and see. I mean, are there any better explanations around to explain all that happened that day? I mean, really? Come and see. And she went and she saw. She heard with her ears. She saw 
with their eyes. And I say to you folks today, whatever, wherever you are in your walk with, with Jesus, I, I say to you, hear and see. Thomas the doubter was a bit like that. Oh, show me, he demanded. And what did Jesus do? He showed him. Or, or what about Peter the coward? Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Saul the persecutor, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? All of them heard and all of them saw. And hearing and seeing that leads to believing is good. Encountering the risen Jesus and believing that he's alive is good. But remember what Jesus said to Thomas? Very important. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So I put it to you this morning. We have the ear witness and the eye witness of many people. Do you believe? We, we have the full canon of Scripture given to us right in front of our lap and our laps. Do you believe? We have the testimony of the church for 2,000 years. Do you believe? We have the ministry of the Holy Spirit as he broods over us and works in our hearts and minds. Do you believe? Mary Magdalene heard and saw, and she believed, and her life was changed, and she knew it was all true. And then, of course, what she had to do, go and tell, verses 7 to 10, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried off from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Now you know, <laughs> go and tell, come and see, be convinced, go and tell, hear and see, go and tell. This is her, now her life purpose, and you know what? It's our life purpose. Once we know, once we believe, once we're changed, this is our business as individuals and as families and as the church. We go and we tell now that we understand reality, now that we receive good news, now that we are saved, we are to be witnesses, proclaimers, sharers of the good news. And the first people to hear, of course, were his disciples. Can you imagine how broken and guilty and empty they felt? Doom and despair was all around them. They had denied him. They abandoned him. And they were probably thinking to themselves, even if he is alive... Why would he want us? Why would he have any interest in us? Because look how we treated him. I'll tell you why. Because of love, because of grace, and because of mercy. Failures like me and you, who sin again and again, who walk away from him again and again, he always will have us back because that's the kind of loving, gracious, merciful God he is. 
You see it there even on that first day. The people who he should have shunned, the people we probably would have shunned, he says, go and tell my disciples. So the woman, verse 8, so the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Imagine having fear, holy fear, and joy at the same time. Well, in many ways, that's exactly what we should have here today. We should have holy fear, not that kind of cringing fear, that holy reverence before him because of who he is and what he's done, and fullness of joy. Holy fear, fullness of joy. And you then, what we should do? Like Mary Magdalene, we should run and tell people. The woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples, you know, this is not a time for secrecy. This is not a time for rebellion. This is not a time for hiding away like the other disciples were. This is a time to believe and receive and go and tell. And who are we supposed to tell? Well, I'm supposed to tell you today. And then you're supposed to go and tell others that you come into contact with. We're, we're supposed to tell the not sure group. Do you have a, a group of people in your life who are the not sure group? Tell them. Come and see. What about the confused people around us? Even today, you might be confused about what we've been thinking about. What about the masses in our country caught in the trap of religion or rebellion? There's a sense of urgency here, folks. We're to run with fear, holy fear, and with great joy. And look what happened, verse 9. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. <laughs> they run into Jesus himself. And he gives them the same message, verse 10. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Notice there, there's so much we could talk about there, but the clasping of his feet, you can't do that to a dream now, can you? Go to Galilee. Why Galilee? Well, that's where it all began. That's where it all began. Back to the beginning again. Tell them to go to my, um, to my and our special place. And maybe that's where some of you need to go today. Back to that um, special place where you first met Jesus. Because maybe between then and now, you've drifted away. You began to doubt. You've become more concerned about the world rather than about the Lord. But what we see here is Jesus, the crucified, risen Savior, calling, fixing people, saving people, renewing people. Time's beating us here, but listen, who are you today? Who are you? What are you today? Where are you today? Are you wandering? Maybe you actually have abandoned your faith inside, even though the shell of the outside is still giving an appearance of believing, but inside you have died in faith. Maybe you're broken and, and you're filled with doubt, and maybe you're fearful and joyless 
Maybe you're a secret disciple. Maybe you're not sure of anything anymore. Maybe you, you look at the world, um, you look at what's happened in our own land, what's happened in your family, and, and you say, I don't know anymore. Go and tell that Jesus really is the Lord. And there's a battle and a war goes on in our hearts and for our hearts. And I say again, we have a choice. We just go with the emptiness of the world or we believe and we receive. We stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Father's plan, the Son's work, the Spirit's application, the old, old story of rescue. We believe it and receive it or we don't. We come and see. And then we go and tell. If you don't do that, then there's nothing for you. There's absolutely nothing for you. Not in this life. And not in the life to come. Nothing. Come and see. Come and hear. And then go and tell. Lord, thank you that we have a, a wonderful gospel message to believe in and to receive. And we pray that we will be a people changed by your grace and by your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.